All right, let's pray and get started. Father, we do thank you today for the opportunity that we have to gather together. God, it's great when your people come together to worship you in song and, and lift up our hearts, lift up our hands, to worship you in the word. And, and God, for you to pour into our hearts and pour into that inner man what you have for us. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for this letter written to a group of Christians who were struggling, who are having a difficult time, who are trying to navigate life. And God, you didn't leave them on their own, but you reached out to them through this person who wrote this letter. And now, Lord, you're reaching out to us. And your heart's desire for us is to grow strong in you and, and to better understand you, to better understand ourselves and to walk in this thing that we call Christianity, to be a light in this world. So I pray you would bless this time. I pray you would encourage each and every heart that is here today, whether we're doing really, really good with you and, and we're, we're on one of those spiritual highs or whether we're, we're doing really, really bad with you and we're in a spiritual low. God, touch us and move in a mighty way. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, since it's been like eight weeks or nine weeks since we were last in Hebrews, kind of just a, a quick, I'm going to do a huge quick overview of chapter one. Chapter one is this. Jesus Christ is supreme over everything. That's the big picture, right? So he starts out letting us know that Jesus is greater than all of the prophets who ever spoke. That in these last days, remember he's spoken to us through his son. He let us know Jesus is greater than all of the angels because he's not an angel. He's greater than the angels. He let us know that Jesus is greater than all the creation because everything was created through him. And then finally he lets us know there's going to come a day when every one of his enemies will be put down and Jesus will sit on his throne. Hallelujah, huh? That's the good news. Listen, and I think this author of Hebrews is writing that, and I think he's getting more and more excited. Remember, he's not writing chapters and verses. He's writing a letter to somebody, and he's caring about him, and he's writing a letter. Now, in chapter two, we begin uh, with the first of five, what people like to call the warning passages of Hebrew. I don't like to call them that because I think that sounds kind of negative. I like to call them the encouraging passages. You see, God did not write these, quote, warnings, hoping that we would fail, hoping that we would read them and go, oh, I can't do it, I'm done. He wrote them to encourage us in our relationship with him, to encourage us even maybe to get out of the slump, get out of the funk, and start going forward. So listen, man, God is encouraging us that way. And if we begin to look at these passages that way, they're not going to freak us out. There's so many people, I don't read Hebrews. Why don't you read Hebrews? Because those passages just freak me out. Well, quit getting freaked out. And listen, understand, God is on your side. I believe this with all my heart. I believe God wants us in heaven more than we want to get there. He sent his son to die for us. Come on. You think he's going to send his son to die for us and then go, eh, you're on your own. Hope you figure it out. 
That's not the God of the Bible, right? So as he's writing here, he's wanting us to go forward and not get stuck in this slump. Now today, I believe what he addresses today, I think these guys were going through this kind of, kind of spiritual fog, if you will. I believe a whole bunch of us do this at different times. Listen to what he says. He has the therefore, right? And we talk about that a lot. When there's a therefore, you've got to ask what the therefore is there for. And because everything is true, because Christ is supreme, he says then, he says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. So because Jesus is who Jesus is, we need to pay attention. Now, again, he's writing to people in the first century. You and I, we have the written word now. And because we have the written word, we should be paying attention to it. We should be giving earnest heed. We should look at the Bible and understand that's God's word to us. God is speaking to us, and we need to heed what he has to say. We need to be people who go, wow. Do you ever open your Bible and start reading it and go, wow. God loves me so much. He wants to tell me these things. He wants me to know these things. And I want to understand them. I want to dig in. I want to know what he's saying. And listen, someone uh, in the fellowship here was leaving for school and, and they're going to a, 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 a Christian college. And I told them something that somebody told me when I went to go to Bible college. Never, ever, ever, ever put your Bible in with your textbooks. You always keep your Bible separate. Why? Because it's not a textbook. It's not just a book. It's the Word of God. And we need to give even more earnest heed. Listen, lest, here's a warning now, lest we drift away. You know what you have to do to drift away? Nothing. Nothing. You do nothing and you're gonna drift. Have you ever been in a boat? You don't put an anchor out and maybe you get busy doing stuff and then you look and you go, how do we get over here? Now, listen, I, I was born and raised in Cochise County in Bisbee. We didn't do a lot of boating. So some of this I've read a lot about. I have snorkeled, have you ever snorkeled? And you're just like, you get relaxed and you start watching and, and then all of a sudden you look up and you're like way away from, that's drifting. And here's the problem with drifting. You drift and you don't know you've drifted until you're in trouble. And then you go, man, I wish I would have had an anchor. I wish I, I wish I would have done something to prevent this. I wish I, wish I would have been paying more attention I had a friend when I worked in the mines in Bisbee. We had a friend, and this is hilarious. He had a boat. He goes out on his boat, and he's going to anchor, right? Because it's what basically he's telling us here in Hebrews, set your anchor. He's going to anchor. He throws his anchor over, and the rope's going through his hands. And the end goes, he forgot to tie it onto the boat. Now, that's kind of funny, right? He did it twice. We would bring anchors to work. Here, bro, you need an anchor. <laughs> now, we kind of laugh, but some of us do that spiritually. 
We maybe even have the anchor. We maybe even throw the anchor out, but we haven't tied it off. And you start drifting. And again, I think this is the greatest danger to the Christian than any other danger. Because it's so subtle. And you just get into that place. And, you know, I, I wrote down from somebody, I wrote down three different ways or, or three maybe different causes of drifting. And one of the greatest causes of drifting is spending years with the Lord. And we become mature believers. I always love it when people tell me that, you know, I'm a mature believer. What does that mean? And we begin to think we're all that, and we pay less and less attention to things that are important in the Christian life. You see, if God's word is God's word, shouldn't we be in God's word, reading it, internalizing it? If God is God and who he says he is, shouldn't we be praying to him? If the church is the body of Christ, shouldn't we be fellowshipping together I know, listen, I know we're in a place where, where it's becoming more difficult, but when things get difficult, what are, what are the, is it the Marines? When the, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, is that the Marines, Army, whoever it is? Army? Okay, someone says Army, the Marine guys are going, no. But <laughs> come on, Christians. And here's the thing, especially if we've walked with the Lord for a while, we can begin to make excuses. Why should I read through the Bible in a year? I've read it like four or five times. Why should I do that? You know, fellowshipping is good, but you know, right now, things are kind of tough. It's kind of difficult. And I, I, I don't really feel like getting together. I'll tell you what, getting locked away in a hospital. I wasn't in a mental institution, by the way. I thought I'd clarify that. But getting locked away in a hospital, I'm thinking, man, you know what, man? I missed, I missed fellowship. I missed people. And so, hey, you, you just thirst after that. And prayer. Not just private prayer, but public prayer. Coming together. Listen, we need that. Oh, and then another thing I think that is maybe even a greater danger than years is kind of becoming familiar. I've gone to church for, you know, 25 years. I've hung out with Christians. For, I've walked with the Lord for this long and you're, you're kind of familiar and, and you sort of begin to take him for granted and you get in that place and you get complacent. Come on, I, I, know, I know if we're really gut check honest, a lot of us know that feeling where we get complacent in our relationship and we, we're, we're not paying attention, we're not doing things and do you know what happens when you get complacent with the Lord? You start drifting and you start drifting and then here's the crazy thing a storm comes and it really knocks you off course. I like to compare our relationship with the Lord to marriage because I think there's a real parallel there. And I believe most of us know you begin to take your spouse for granted and you become complacent, your marriage is gonna have some problems. You're gonna have issues. This October, Ganelle and I will be married 50 years. We got married when we were five. <laughs> but we'll, we'll have 50 years, and you know what? It gets better and better and better. 
and I believe both of us, at least I know I am, I put energy into our relationship. I don't take my wife for granted. I don't, I don't look at her and expect her, here's what you need to do. Especially during this time when I was sick, man, she did so many crazy things for me and so many good things. But listen, you need to be there that way with the Lord. Do you wake up in the morning excited about your relationship with the Lord? Excited about what he's gonna do today? Excited about the things that he's gonna show you? Or do you wake up and go, yeah, another day. Oh, and we do that. And then one of the last ones is we get too busy. Do you ever get too busy for the Lord? Do you ever get up in the morning and you need to do your quiet time, but a lot of pressing things start happening? And you go, Lord, I'll catch up tonight. And then you come home. Do you ever try and do your quiet time when you're going to bed? That never works. When I was in the hospital, I was praying a lot, and I would fall asleep, and I'd wake up, oh, wait, where was I? You know, kind of type thing, right? Because you're, you're there. And listen, we can get busy. One, one, one of the conferences we had years and years and years ago, uh, uh, Calvary uh, for the state uh, conferences, leadership conferences, and I'll never forget, one of the pastors shared this, that he got up one morning and he was just busy, you know, just, and, and hey, life happens, I understand, and I'm not being legalistic saying you have to have your quiet time, but he's just busy and he takes off out of the house and he's doing stuff and he's going and he's going and he's going and then in the afternoon he has this meeting with a couple and it was a difficult meeting and it was hard and, and they shared something and he had nothing for them, nothing he's searching his heart, he's searching, and, and he has nothing, and, and he began to pray, and the Lord said, oh, I had the answer for you this morning, but you were too busy. Woo, that guy shared that, man, and it hit my heart so heavily. Hey, you're never too busy. You know what? The busier you are, the more you need to take time for the Lord. So think about those things and, and those things creep in our lives and all of a sudden we're drifting and, and, and listen, man, that storm comes and we're not prepared. Man, I want an anchor. I want a solid anchor. I want it tied off. I want it good and tight. And I want to be paying attention. And I want to, you know, be that person who, when that storm comes, I want to be the person who says, I knew you were coming. I knew this was going to happen. And then we go forward. So listen, so because all of that is true, we need to give more earnest heed to the things we have heard. And now he's going to kind of say, once again, why? Chapter 1 says why, but he gets uh, a little more detail starting in verse 2. He says, for if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So here's what he's doing. He's arguing from the lesser to the greater, right? Here is this. We know this is true. Well, if this is true, how much more is this true? So he begins here by talking about, listen, he says, if we know what was spoken through angels. Now, I believe, I believe he's looking at 
the fact that, and again, according to Acts chapter 7 and, and Galatians, that the law was given through angels. The angels participated in giving the law. And I think he's talking about that. But I think he's even going deeper. What about when the angels pronounced that Sodom and Gomorrah would be destroyed? Were they destroyed? Yeah. And he says, now, here's what I want you to think about. You think about the angels said certain things, and if you were disobedient to that, there was consequences every time, not just once, every time. So if that's true and there's consequences to what comes through angels, how much greater consequences will there be if we ignore what God has said through his son? And there's the challenge for you and I. Either we're going to believe Jesus, listen, and not just believe him, but internalize it, walk it. I like to call it this, flesh it out. I'm not talking about walking in the flesh, and I'm not talking about fleshing out. I'm saying we get the word, and we flesh the word out to the world among us. And here's what he's saying. If we're not doing that, you're going to drift. And when you drift again, the storm's gonna come, you're gonna be in trouble, you're gonna freak out. So here's the challenge for you and I. Is the word of God precious to your heart? Is gathering together with the saints important to you? Is praying something that you're not gonna give up lightly? Because here's the thing, Jesus is drawing us and Jesus is calling us, especially as believers, is he the most important relationship in your life? Period. We gotta come to that in conclusion. Now again, I'm not talking about works. Listen, you can do all the things I said and just do it as works and get nowhere. It comes out of a relationship. I guess years ago there was William, I think his name is William Perry. He was... Uh, uh, discovering, doing stuff in the uh, in, uh, uh, Arctic Ocean. And his guys and him decide, let's go north and let's see how far north we can get. So they take their compass reading and they start walking north. And they walk 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 and they get exhausted. And they finally stop and they take a compass reading and they're further south than when they started. What happened? They were on a big ice floe and it's slowly drifting south faster than they're walking north. Here's, here's why I like that illustration for this reason. Some of us are on the ice flow of works and religiosity, if you want to call it that, and religion, and we're on that ice flow, and we're going, and we're going, and we're going, and we're not getting anywhere. So I'm not telling you you have to do this thing for works. I'm saying you gotta do this thing because you're in love with Jesus Christ. Because you're in love with your God and you wanna know him more. So listen, man, and I love what he says. Listen again in the beginning of verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Is your salvation great? Or is it just, oh, I got saved. Some of us treat it kind of just that way. For some of us, I, I think, and I don't want to step on toes. Well, I kind of do. Some of us think if I say the words and do the right thing, I'm okay. I believe every single one of us, when we get up in the morning, we should look in the mirror and we should be amazed 
that God would save us. We shouldn't look in the mirror and go, well, pfft, why wouldn't I save me? I would save me. No, we should be amazed that God would save us. Our salvation should be so great. And here's what I'm convinced of. If we truly believe that this thing we call salvation is great, we are going to influence the world out there. We're gonna begin to change people's hearts and minds because they're gonna look at us and they're gonna go, what, number one, they're gonna say, what's wrong with you? Number two, what happened to you? Jesus, I'm in love with Jesus and I have this great, I don't have a, a mediocre salvation. I don't have an okay salvation. I have a great salvation. Why? Because God came down out of heaven and died on a cross so that I could have eternal life. Don't tell me that God doesn't love you when he's done that. So here's what he's saying, man. We have, we have uh, if the angels and what they spoke is, is intense, listen to this. If you sin against the law, that's bad. But if you sin against love, that's horrible. That's what the author is saying. Sinning against the law has consequences and they're bad. Sinning against love has greater consequences and more severe consequences. And then listen, as he goes on here, he says we have this, this great salvation which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Now, here's what I like. This author is using we and us. So when he's using we and us, here's what I assume. He's including himself in this, right? When you assume that, there are people who want to twist and say, no, 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 I think. And so here's what I think. He's also including us. We're part of the we and us. And he's letting us know, listen, this thing called the gospel, it's not man-made. It's not something that, and here's what I love when people say this. You know, people just dream that up because they want to control your life. You know how Christians are, and they, they just want to control you and tell you what to do, and, and, and et cetera, et cetera. No. We didn't make this up. How can you make up, real, truly and honestly, how can you make up the gospel, the true gospel? How do you make that up? God became man. Number one, how do you even make up the virgin birth? Like, that doesn't fly right, right? I mean, without, without faith, without understanding. I mean, you just talk to the person on the street. Hey, grab somebody who's biblically illiterate and say, hey, do you know that Jesus was born of a virgin? They would go, you're out of your mind. That doesn't happen. He was, why? Because he had to be fully God and he had to be fully man. He's 100% man, 100% God. I know that's 200%. People go, you can't do that. Yeah, God can. And so you can't, listen, those are things you can't make up. And it was first spoken to us through the Lord. And you and I have the privilege of living in 2020 where we can open up the Bible and we can read the Gospels anytime we want. We can listen to them. Man, listen, we live in one of the greatest ages ever. Did you ever, 20 years ago, for those of you who are over 20, 20 years ago, did you ever imagine you could have the entire Bible in your pocket? Just on a little device? Did you ever imagine you could have teaching 24-7? You could pull up teaching from anything? How, you, you can pull up YouTube stuff. You can pull up good and bad. 
I have a friend right now that's really getting into doing some studies and, and almost all of his studies now are on YouTube in a good way. I'm not, I'm not saying that. And I'm thinking, what a crazy generation we live in that we have all of this accessibility. And why? Because the Lord spoke it first and then here's what I love. He spoke it and then what does it say? Then it was confirmed to us. Listen what he says. It was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Who heard him? Matthew, Mark, John, Paul, Peter, James. They confirmed what was said. They said, yes, this is true. Saints, this thing we call the Bible, especially the New Testament, has so much evidence for its accuracy. I get upset when and I'm just going to say this, like, from my heart. I get upset when blowhards try and put down the New Testament. They have no idea what they're talking about. They have done no research. There is no other ancient writing that is attested to more than the New Testament. Oh, they're not going to admit that. I don't care whether you're talking Homer. I don't care if you're talking Plato. I don't care if you're talking Socrates. I mean Socrates. I don't care. I don't care any of those people. I don't care if you're talking any of those people. Their writings do not have the evidence. They're not even close to the evidence we have for the New Testament. Don't let people put your New Testament down. Stand your ground. And he says, listen, man, it was spoken by the Lord. Then it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. You and I are blessed. We don't just have to listen. We can read it. It's written down. We have it written for us, and we can stand on it. And then, listen, now it gets, gets kind of, I believe, a little bit personal. Verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his word. So here's what he's letting us know. As those men communicated it, God also stamped his approval on it by signs, wonders, and miracles. He let us know. Now, I'm one who I believe God still does those things today. And I believe he does them as often today as he did all through the Bible. Read your Bible God didn't do miracles every day. God didn't do wonders, you know, 34 times a day. If he did them that often, they wouldn't be wonders anymore, would they? They would be common. Listen, check out when God would do different signs and wonders and miracles. They were always, listen, they were always when God was doing something new or something different. So again, I'm going to leave it at that. Read through your Bible this year. Check it out. Write it down. Look at what he does. But again, I believe he does it today. I love it when people come up to me and they go, you know, I'm of a different mindset and God stopped doing miracles. And I always do this. Seriously? You think God stopped doing miracles? Yeah, he doesn't do miracles anymore. I mean, they love the Lord, and these are God-fearing people who love the Lord. He doesn't do miracles anymore. So me, being the kind, generous guy that I am, or the Henri contrary, real me, here's what I tell him. Are you sure God doesn't do miracles today? Positive. I go, then would you answer me this one question? 
How does a guy dying on a cross 2,000 years ago cause a person today to be born again if that's not a miracle? Well, hey, the greatest miracle God does and the one overlooked by most Christians is a person being born again where a life is changed, where an individual comes out of darkness to light. Listen, there is no greater miracle than that. And God changes lives, and we kind of sometimes as more mature Christians who are in our boat drifting away are going, oh, I'm amazed when people get saved. I'm amazed that I got saved. So listen, he does signs, wonders, miracles. Someone wrote this. Someone wrote it this way. Signs pointed to the mighty hand of God. Wonders brought awe and amazement to those who saw. And then miracles showed the power of God before human ability. Listen, humans can't save themselves or we would have done it. God reaches down. And then here's the, here's the I think, the part that kind of, can, we can apply to us directly. He says, through these things and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You might underline according to his own will. God moves according to his will, not your will. God is not at your beck and call. God is not there to do what you want him to do. He's there to do what he wants to do and move in your life. Now, when I think of gifts, and I read that, and I believe, listen, I believe in the gifts of the Spirit for today. We have a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I call those the manifestational gifts. And by that, here's what I mean. There are times where God will manifest, the Holy Spirit will manifest his presence in our life and do something. And it is amazing. There are times... When even up here, there are times up here when I'm speaking, this is going to sound really bad. I want to stop and write that down. I go, that was good. I need to write. Because that's the Holy Spirit manifesting himself, proving himself. There are times where God may use you to pray for somebody and they're healed miraculously. That doesn't mean you have the gift of healing. It means God manifested himself in you at that time. When people tell me, I believe so-and-so has the gift of healing, here's what I tell them. Get on the phone, call them, tell them I will meet them at the hospital, and we're going to go empty that hospital. Well, no, they can't do that. Well, if they have the gift of healing, they could. Listen, he manifests, so that's what I mean by those gifts. And those are manifestations where the Spirit works special ways at special times in our lives, and he doesn't need our permission to do it. And it is amazing. And check this out. You don't get a little, you don't get a little, I did this badge when he's done. It's him doing it, not you. And then in Romans chapter 12, there's another list of gifts. I call those the motivational gifts. And by motivational, here's what I mean. Those are the gifts that God gives us that, man, that's who we are. That's how we see things. That's the way, that's the way our Christian world begins to operate and function. And those are important for the body of Christ. Now, I don't believe Romans chapter 12 is a, is a complete, you know, uh, listing of those gifts. I believe there's others. But, but, you know, I use one in particular. And obviously, the one I'm going to use is the one that God has me the gift of teaching. I share with you guys, and I think some of you think I'm, 
I'm lying, but I really wouldn't lie from the pulpit, usually. But I was the world's, I was one of the world's worst students. I hated school. I thought of school as a social event. One time I had to ask a friend where my locker was. Like I'd forgot. I visited it occasionally. It's bad when you have to go to the office. What was that combination you gave me like three months ago? Because haven't you used it? Well, sort of, but it's not working right now. So I, was, I hated reading, I hated studying, I hated history. I just, I was not a, I didn't like school at all. I get saved. I've been saved for a while. I'm talking past tense if you've seen the pottery presentation. I'm saved for a while. I'm involved in a church. And let me tell you something, man. When I got saved, I started devouring this thing called the Bible. I just read it, and the poor guy who discipled me, uh, I would call him all the time. What is this? What is this? What? I drove him nuts. And, you know, he, he finally bought me this book called Bible Difficulties by Gleason Archer. He goes, here, quit calling me. Just read this and, and look this up. But listen, man, I just wanted to know I had this thirst and this hunger. And I'll never forget, my pastor said, hey, Pat, I think you have the gift of teaching. I said, really? I think you have the gift of joking. <laughs> I hated studying, and I tried to teach pottery. At that time, I was making pottery for a living. I tried to teach. I tried to teach my wife, no success. Tried to teach uh, my nephew, no success. Tried to teach my mother-in-law, and I had a good relationship with her, no success. I could not teach pottery. I, I, even, I even helped teach at a small university in, 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 or a small college in, in uh, San Antonio. The, the teacher, the professor, asked me to quit coming. He said, like, you're destroying these students. So, so you kind of get my point? And if God gives me this gift of teaching, I know this is from God. But you know what? Yours might be something even a little bit more natural for you, but here's what I'm going to tell you. Use it. Was it Pastor Ryan got up here on a Thursday night and really challenged us? Find your gift. Use your gift. Get involved. Listen, God puts you in the body of Christ not to just, you know, attend and be, you know, and, and go through things. He puts you to be part of it. He's gifted you. And I don't think it's a huge mystery. I don't think it's something you're going to have to search and get a decoder ring to figure out. If you're not sure, ask the people around you. And then use that. Allow God to use you. And again, one of the greatest ways to find your gift is start doing things and begin to go in a direction. Listen, he'll guide you. He'll get you in the right place. And so here's what he's saying. Man, listen, not just, and again, I don't think when he says, God also bearing witness with signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will, he is doing that today, today, you and I are called to be a light in the world. And I think we're living in a really, really, really funky time. And here's what I found. When it gets really dark, really dark, light shines the brightest. Saints, let's shine. Let's don't shy away from, let's move forward and let's push back the darkness 
and show the world, here's what Christianity is. I believe, I believe this place should be full of unbelievers. It's a scary time, man. If I didn't know the Lord right now, I would be genuinely freaked. I would be in major freak mode. I would probably be looking for a cave to move into to get away from everything. So, saints, let's do this. Let's do our part. And you know what? He may do some signs and wonders and miracles when you're sharing. I don't know. And, you know, usually when he does them, you don't even know because you'd want a badge if, if you knew. So he does them in spite of us. So saints, let's get busy. And here's the thing, man. You get busy serving the Lord like in Javaluya Coffee House or as ushers and greeters. I had to throw that little commercial in there. You get busy with that. You know what? You are not going to drift because you're going to be anchored into something. So that's the exhortation. Once again, don't look at this passage and go, am I drifting? Look at this passage and do this. I am not going to drift. That is not going to happen in my life. I am going to begin, and you make a list for yourself. And I am going to do this to make sure that I don't get out there. You know, you've all heard the story of the guy who thought his boat was tied off and then went over Niagara Falls, last boat trip he ever had. But listen, you don't want to be that guy. So make sure you're tied off. Make sure you're ready. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do, I do thank you. I thank you that, God, you love us enough to challenge us. You love us so much, you're not gonna leave us in, in a complacent, quote, comfortable uh, place, but you're gonna take us, and God, you're going to challenge us to go further with you, to go deeper with you, to become stronger in you. So, Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray for myself that we would take earnest heed to what we've heard. Here's your word. Embed it in our hearts. Plant it deeply within us so that we can be the light in the darkness, so that we can be those who, Lord, have answers for the people who are confused, for the people who are are, are scared for the people that are struggling. God, we want to be their comfort and we want to point them to you. So Lord, use us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And you know what? If you've never asked Jesus to forgive your sins, today's the day to do it. You do not wanna ignore this message. To have a relationship with the Lord, to have this thing we call salvation, you need to accept what he's done on the cross for you. You need to say yes to that. To go to hell and eternal damnation, all you have to do is nothing. So the choice is yours this morning. If you're here and you don't have that relationship, I wanna challenge you, call on the name of the Lord today and my Bible says you will be saved. And I want to challenge you to do that. That's why we do what we do. So call on him. Let him know today that you want that relationship. If you're somebody who you've drifted and you know you've drifted, 
and you want to grab a hold of that anchor, then you know what? Call on the name of the Lord today. We kind of, in our today, we sometimes call that backsliding. Well, I'm going to challenge you, man. Front slide. Come back to Jesus. Come home. If you're watching online, whether you're uh, never called on the name of the Lord or you're drifting, hey, you know what? Say this prayer. We're going to say a prayer. You can say it there in your home. Those of you who are in here, you can say it out loud. You can say it silently. But you got to mean it from your heart. Jesus, today, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry, God, that I sinned against you. Right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you right now for your forgiveness. And today, I want you to come into my heart and change me. I'm asking you to come into my life and guide me. Today I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.